And if you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to two places today, Isaiah 7 and Matthew chapter 1. So Isaiah chapter 7, Matthew chapter 1. Welcome to week 16 of our Names of God series. And as we said last week, as we enter into the Christmas season, we are shifting our names of God to reflect the person and the work of Jesus. Although, as we're about to see a little later on, every name of God given in the Old Testament is true of the person of Jesus Christ. And here's what I would say. If someone were to ask me to sum up the rich meaning of Christmas in one word, that one word I would use would be the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is one of the most beautiful and intimate names for Jesus given in Scripture. It describes the deep truth that not only does God see our need, not only does God see our desperation, but he has come down to be with us, to rescue us, to redeem us for himself. And as most of you are aware, the name Emmanuel means God with us. What amazing truth that just spring up from that amazing declaration, God with us. And as we get started this morning, would you guys just participate with me? So can everyone repeat after me? God is, God was. God will be with us. So just for fun, let's do it one more time. God is, God was, God will be with us. Just think about the richness of what we just said together, of how that is true in all of our lives. I think of the words of Charles Spurgeon who said this, This great name, Emmanuel, is eternity's sonnet, it's heaven's hallelujah. It's the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of angels, the everlasting cantata of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us, not just God forever over us, although he will be forever over us, and definitely not just God kind of around us. No, God with us. God did not just send Christ to us. God came to us in Christ. In and through Christ, God came to us. And it's not enough just for us to know that God is up there somewhere or God is out there somewhere. We must know that God has come to where we are. As we said last week, God came into our neighborhood. God moved into our neighborhood. He knows where we live. He knows our names. He cares about us. He walked where we walked, and he walks with us even still. And now, while there are only three occurrences of Emmanuel in Scripture, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, and Matthew 1, there are many, many, many passages all throughout Scripture that speaks of God's presence with us. We're going to look at many of those today. But in fact, from Genesis to Revelation, so from Genesis 2, the Garden of Eden, all the way to Revelation 2, the paradise of God, God has been and God will be with us. So let us dive in this morning to the word and behold this powerful name that assures us that he is forever present. So I'm going to ask you if you're able, if you can stand with me. We're going to read Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 14 together. And then we're going to read Matthew 1, 21 through 23. So beginning at Isaiah 7 verse 10, it says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Meaning, let it be a big ask. 
But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now let's look at Matthew 1 together. And we're going to read verses 21 through 23. And these are the words of the angel to Joseph. In verse 21 it says, She will bear a son, speaking of Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, of course the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty, the power, the intimacy of those words. God, you with us, your people. Show us today the richness of that. Show us today, Lord, the reality of that, Lord, that you are with us and not just with us. If we are yours, God, you are in us. Your spirit is in us. Just speak today, God, by your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So when you and I understand that the God of the universe, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the ever-present God is with us, it changes everything. And just let me define it for you. When we are lost and don't know where to go, he is with us as our guide, for he is the way. When we're hurting and feel alone, he is with us as our friend. In fact, a friend sticks closer than a brother. When we're in the middle of a trial, he is with us as our comforter, even as our advocate. When we're in the middle of sickness, he is with us as our healer. When we're in the midst of overwhelming weakness and we feel so very weak, he is with us as our strength, for he is so very strong. And when we've been overcome by sin once again, he is with us as our Savior and our forgiver. He is with us. That's not just a nice slogan for a Christmas card. That is a deep reality for every child of God in this room and in this world. He is with us. And in truth, I mean, we know in truth, God has always been with us. He is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere all the time there's not one moment of history that it cannot be said that god was not everywhere present yet when we say that god is with us we're we're talking about more than omnipresence we're talking about his personal presence that he is personally present with us that two thousand years ago god looked upon our sin-stained sin-ravished world the world that you and i live in he saw our hopelessness he saw all our futile attempts to try to make ourselves right with him and he did what we could never do meaning we couldn't come into his presence so he came into ours he came into our world and when christ came to us he quite literally became god with us he did so much more than just enter into our humanity he lived among us. He showed us the way to the Father. Then he paved the way to the Father through his death, burial, and resurrection. Again, Spurgeon summed it up this way. Emmanuel, God with us in our nature. 
God with us in our sorrow, God with us in our life work, God with us in our punishment, God with us even in our grave. And let me just say this. Please hear this this morning. Emmanuel was God for us before he became God with us. It is because God is for us that he became God with us. And he is Emmanuel. He is with us. And please hear this today. He is with us even now, especially now. Especially, I, don't, I don't care what you're going through. That, that worst moment of your life, you can say, he is with me now, especially now. Especially now. So let's dive into the word and unpack three truths related to Jesus as our Emmanuel. Number one, God has always been with his people. God has always been with his people. So the language of God being with his people doesn't just start in Matthew 1, and it doesn't just start in Isaiah 7. I want to take a, a quick journey through the Old Testament, and don't, don't fret, don't fear. We're not going to turn, turn to these pages. I'm just going to say them to you. If you're taking notes, you can write the reference down. But just to show you how God has shown his mercy, his grace, his love time and time again by giving his presence to his people. So here are a, a few references in Scripture. So in Genesis 12 and 13, to Abram, who would become Abraham, God said to Abram, I will be with you. In Genesis 26, to Abraham's son Isaac, God said, as I was with Abraham, I will be with you. In Genesis 28, to Jacob, Isaac's son, God said, I am with you, as I was with Abraham and Isaac, and I will keep you. In Genesis 39, four different times, it is said of Joseph that the Lord was with him. Even while he was in Egypt, the Lord was with him. In Exodus 3, and we see that on the screen, when Moses asked the question, God, how can I possibly stand before Pharaoh? God's answer to Moses is, I will be with you. Throughout Israel's journey to get to the promised land for 40 years, they experienced God's continual presence with them in a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. In Numbers chapter 14, when the Israelites had their first opportunity to enter into the promised land, and yet 10 of the 12 spies came back and said, they're huge, they're giants, we could never win. It was Joshua and Caleb and Numbers 14, 9, who reminded the people, not that the Lord has been with us, but the Lord is with us. When Joshua assumed leadership after Moses died, leadership of the people of Israel in Joshua 1, God promised Joshua two different times, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Then in the book of Judges, God appears to Gideon cowardly Gideon in Judges 6 and God says Gideon I'm going to use you to fight and defeat the Midianites well how is that going to happen well God says I will be with you when we get to David the man after God's own heart the second king of Israel David knew what it was to have the presence of God with him David even wrote even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. David understood the presence of God. And then to David's son Solomon, God said, Just as I was with David, I will be with you. 
Then through the prophets, so through the prophets, over and over again, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, God said, fear not, I am with you. In fact, just think about Isaiah 41. You see on the screen, this was one of Brother Steve's favorite verses. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't miss the personal presence of God here. And then think about what we just read in Isaiah 7, 14. So in Isaiah 7, just to set the stage, the year was 730 B.C. And Ahaz was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. So he was the king of Judah who was struggling with the reality that Israel, the northern kingdom, who was kin to them, so family, and Syria had joined together in order to attack them. So King Ahaz responded in the same way that we often respond to difficulty. He immediately began to scheme. So what was his scheming? He said, well, I'm just going to contact the king of Assyria and let him come and join and we'll fight together. So he put his hope, instead of in the Lord, he put his hope in a godless king. So God sends the prophet Isaiah to him to tell him, to remind him that God would be with him and with Judah as their protector. Isaiah could tell that Ahaz still wasn't getting it. So through the words of God, Isaiah said, ask God for a sign that this is going to happen. Make it big. Ask something huge of God. And instead of asking, King Ahaz refused. And he said, I will not put God to the test. Now that sounds like an amazing declaration, right? But most scholars believe that the reason that he would not ask God for a sign is because, number one, if God gave him a sign, he would have to declare God's power. But second of all, if God gave him a sign, he would have to obey God's commands. So Ahaz wanted nothing to do with obeying God's commands. But So Isaiah kept talking. Isaiah said, well, if you're not going to ask for a sign, God's going to give you one anyway. Here's your sign. And God... Through Isaiah said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now let me just kind of step off my, my notes a little bit and kind of step into our world. So today, liberal theologians come along and they say, Well, the word virgin doesn't mean virgin. It means maiden. It just means a young female of the day. And so here's what I would say in response to that. Number one, what would be an amazing sign about a young girl having a baby? That happens every day. Like That happens every single day. There's nothing miraculous about that other than the miracle of childbirth. Please, ladies, do not rush the stage. The miracle of childbirth, amazing miracle, but it happens again and again. But then secondly, what, what Matthew does in Matthew 1 is Matthew takes the announcement of the angel to Joseph as the virgin conception and he ties it with God's promise of Emmanuel. So this is, this is what God is. So I, I choose to believe the interpretation of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does here. This is a virgin conceiving, bearing a son. He is Emmanuel. But here's the point. God continually assured Israel of his presence when they were confronted with difficulties that were more than their ability to handle. He promised to be with them in their fearful and weak and even devastating moments. This is the truth that penetrates all the Old Testament, God dwelling with his people, tabernacling with his people. So that we can say, number one, God has always been with his people. But then number two, 
Number two, God in Christ came near to his people. So God in Christ came near to his people. Now let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer this, but just think about this. When you were a child, what did you think clouds were made of? Yeah, most of us would say cotton or cotton candy or pillows or something fluffy and soft. You know, when you're a child, it's hard to wrap your, your mind around the idea of air, ice particles, and liquid coming together to form a mass that if you were to touch it would feel like nothing. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. To understand the concept of a cloud, it helps to initially put substance to it. Think about what God did, putting substance to himself. But the concept of God is even more confusing to us. We think about the truths that we know. God is everywhere. God is outside of time, yet he entered time. God is on the earth, yet he is outside of the, the earth. And we begin to think about, well, what does God look like exactly? Where is God exactly? Is he north, south, east, or west? Or, are you confused yet? All of these questions that come up, but here is what we know with absolute clarity. Jesus came to earth as the first tangible presence of God. So tangible that John wrote in 1 John, we have heard him, we have touched him, we have seen him. That's how tangible and real he is. Or as we saw last week in John 1, when John writes 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten son of the father full of grace and truth or in the words of one scholar how wondrously and completely does this truth the incarnation span the wide chasm between the infinite and the finite or how it spans the chasm between god and man Think with me. Just, just think with me here. What was it that made the shepherds run back into the fields rejoicing? What was it that made these wise men follow a star and come before this baby and bow down and give gifts and worship him? I think it was the fact that God isn't distant. He is not far off. He is not an uninvolved God. He's not just watching over us at a distance. I believe what it was is that the fact that God came near. And because God came near, they rejoiced in it. Because God came near, they worshipped the one who came near. The reality, the reality of the incarnation is this. The Son of God, Jesus, became a son of man so that we, sons and daughters of men, might become sons and daughters of God. Let me say it again. The reality of the incarnation is that the Son of God became a son of man so that we, sons and daughters of men, might become sons and daughters of God. That is the beauty of what we are declaring, and that is worth us rejoicing and worshiping in. But let me say this. When I began to look at the names of God in the Old Testament and some of the declarations of Jesus in the New Testament, the deity of Christ, who he is, became even more clear. That Jesus is God who came near. And let's, let's take a quick trip to, through some of the names that we have discussed or addressed, connecting them to Jesus. And one name that we haven't, but just follow with me here. Think about where we have been in the last 16 weeks. In the Old Testament, God is called Elohim, the creator God. Yet in the New Testament, as we saw last week in John 1 and Colossians 1, 
The Bible tells us that the world was created by Jesus and for Jesus. In the Old Testament, God is called Yahweh, the I Am. Yet in the New Testament, in speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus said before Abraham was, I Am. In the Old Testament, God is called Adonai. He is called Lord. In the New Testament, Paul says one of the requirements for salvation is you must confess Jesus as Lord. In the Old Testament, God is called Jehovah Nisi, our banner for victory. In the New Testament, Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. In the Old Testament, God is called Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. In the New Testament, Jesus came on the scene and said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the Old Testament, God is called Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Now, we didn't look at this one, but in the New Testament, Jesus said at the time of his crucifixion, he said, I could call 10,000 angels. I could call the host of heaven because I am the Lord of hosts. In the Old Testament, God is called El Elyon, the Most High God. In the New Testament, after the resurrection, Jesus is said to sit on the right hand of the majesty of God on high. And in the Old Testament, God is called El Shaddai, God Almighty. And in Revelation 1.8, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our Lord Almighty. Are you, are you getting the picture here? Jesus, who is Emmanuel, is God with us. Not just God made us, not just God thinks about us sometimes, not God above us, God with us. God where we are, God who breathed our air, God who walked the same steps that we walk. God with us. And think about the two names that we just saw in, in Matthew 1. In fact, look at Matthew 1. The angel says to Joseph, you will call this baby's name Jesus. It means Yahweh, Jehovah is salvation. So salvation is of the Lord. But then you will also, this baby's name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Think about this. Jesus is his mission. He came to save. Emmanuel is his nature. He is God with us. Jesus is what he does. He seeks and saves that which is lost. Emmanuel is who he is, God with us. Jesus is the transcendent one. He is eternal God. Emmanuel is the eminent one with us. And I love, I love how Matthew, I love how Matthew begins and ends his gospel. In case you're not falling along, look here on the screen. This would be a great time to wake up. In Matthew 1, the beginning of this picture of how Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ, Matthew says, we will call his name Emmanuel because he is God with us. When we get to Matthew 28, Jesus rises from the dead. The very end of Matthew 28, he calls his disciples. He gives them the great commission. And the very last words in the gospel of Matthew are Jesus saying this, and behold, I am with you always. I'm with you always to the very end of this age. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. And maybe even get excited about it. Jesus is with us. And because he's with us, we can find strength in our weakest moments. 
Because he's with us, we can find comfort in our times of heartache. Because he's with us, we can find peace in the times of turmoil, even peace that surround us and, as the Bible says, guard our hearts and minds. Because he is with us, we can find hope in the midst of desperation. Because he's with us, we can find joy in times of disillusionment. Because he is with us, we can find unfailing love in a world that seems so loveless. Let me say this this morning. Though others might turn away from you, he never will. How do I know that? Because he is God with us. He'll never turn away. And if you, have, if you belong to him, if you are here this morning and you belong to him, he has promised that no matter what comes up along the way, even when we're not off course, even when we're not off course, he will not rest until we arrive home because he is God with us. Which leads to our last truth. So God has always been with his people. God in Christ came near his people. And then number three, God will forever be with his people. God will forever be with us. And this hope isn't only here for us when we have our Job-like moments. So think about Job. Job had the worst day in human existence. I don't care how bad a day you think you've ever had. You haven't had a Job-like day where Job lost his children. He lost all of his possession. And his wife said, just curse God and die. And then his friends come and say, why don't you tell us what you've done, Job? We know you sinned for all this to happen. Think about that day. Think about that reality. In the middle of what Job was going through, Job declares in Job 19.25 these words, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand upon the earth. And that's a reminder, brothers and sisters, for us in the difficult moments of our lives. We can even say it more assuredly than Job did. Because we have a greater revelation that Job had. We know our Redeemer lives. And we know he will stand. But it gets even better than that. Because this is not just our hope in this life. This is our hope in the world to come. Look at Revelation 21 on the screen. Verses 2 and 3. John writes these words. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I mean, this is God's doing, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Meaning this is going to be glorious, magnificent, beautiful. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. So if a voice is coming from the throne, whose voice is it? You can say it. We can say God in church. So God's voice saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be them with them as their God. Brothers and sisters, God will forever be with his people. Meaning, when we come to the closing scene of our lives, we who are in Christ will find that Emmanuel, God with us, has been with us every step of our lives. As we saw a few weeks ago in Psalm 23, we will realize, looking back, that there was not one moment of our life that his goodness and his mercy had not followed us. And I don't want to, sometimes we say goodness and mercy and we detach that from the person they belong to. What we're saying is this, Jesus will have pursued you your entire life. It's not just a, a concept here of saying goodness and mercy in this abstract picture. No, this, this picture belongs to a person who pursues his people, hear this, to the very end. 
That's the reality of the God that we serve. He will be with us, and we will be with him forever. I think of the words of Spurgeon, and I'm going to show these on the screen. He says this, wonderfully true is this fact. When you and I come to the closing scene of life, we will find that Emmanuel, God with us, has been there. He endured the bloody sweat of agony and thirst. He knew the separation of the tortured spirit. He knew the grave. He slept there, and yet he left the tomb perfumed and furnished. The garden's new tomb makes him God with us until the resurrection calls us. Then, hear this, in newness of life, we will find him God with us and as long as the ages roll, that means forever, he will be God with us. I don't care how you envision him, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we get this vision that God is this distant and detached Lord, and we are just pawns in this game. And he just moves us, and he's not afraid to sacrifice us for the sake of winning. And if you think that way, if you've ever thought that way, you've missed the mark. Here's the reality. Our God was willing to sacrifice himself so that we could join him in his victory. That's the beauty of the gospel. He sacrificed himself so that we could join him in his victory. His lordship does not separate us from him like a servant would be separated from a king. No, he is Lord, but yet he is still Emmanuel. He accomplished his sovereign plan by invading our dark world, even when he invaded People who he came near saw no value in his nearness. And even today, people don't often see a value in God coming near unless you know him. And then you realize he doesn't just rule from afar. He comes near. We have hope today because he is not distant. Therefore, when we celebrate Emmanuel, when we celebrate God with us, we are saying that because he is with us, we will never be abandoned in anything that we face in this life. When we say God is with us, what we're saying is that we can cast all of our cares, our anxieties, and our fears upon him because he is with us and he cares for us. Because we know him as Emmanuel, we know that he will hold us today, he will hold us tomorrow because he has held us to this point. He will not let go. And here's the best news, because God in Christ, God sent Christ, Christ sent his spirit. Not only do we have God with us, if you are a child of God, you have Christ in you. You have Christ in you. In the, in the New Testament, Paul says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We love that verse. We're like, well, oh, that means I'm doing this. And then we read the very next verse, and it says this, because it is God who works in you. The reason you might not be far enough along in your Christian life is because you're trying to do what only God can do. You're trying to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling without letting God work in you. The good news, brothers and sisters, we have God with us, but we have God in us. He is God who is with us, who was with us, who will be with us forever. It is forever settled. It is written. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But let me say this this morning. Maybe there's someone in this room or someone even watching online and you would say, yes, I know the Bible says God is Emmanuel, he is with us, but right now I feel really distant. I don't feel very near. I'm going to say something, it might sound harsh, but this is so true, and that is this. 
any distance that you feel with God, the distance is not in God. The distance is in you. The distance is in you. The distance is in the fact that oftentimes we pursue other things than him. We seek other things over him. We value other things besides him. And brothers and sisters, hear this. When you walk away from the, the word of God, you forsake the presence of God. When you forsake the presence of God, you forsake the blessings of God. When you forsake the blessings of God, you forsake the peace and mercy and grace of God that are so evident. And then we go, well, I keep coming to church. I just don't feel distant. Think about all the steps away that we have taken. Again, the distance is in us, not in him. And if you feel that distance today, let me give you your way back. Your way back are the very words of David. In Psalm 51, and David said this, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy upon me. Blot out all my iniquities and my transgressions. And then David said this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If you're walking and feel distant from the Lord, let me tell you what's going to be lacking, joy. Joy is going to be lacking. Restore to me, God, the joy of your salvation. Again, today, if there is distance, the distance is in us. It's not in him, but there is a way back. There is a way back because he is still God with us. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come forward. We enter this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. I'm going to ask everyone else to stand. And let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. The beauty of what that means, God, you are not a distant God. You are ever personally present. And we have your presence in this life. And if we know you in Christ, we will be with you. Have your presence forever and ever and ever. Well, I pray for any in this room or watching online that maybe don't know you. They have never felt the nearness of God with us. And today would be a day that they would cry out to you from the depths of their heart to save them from their sin. They would confess, Jesus, that they believe that you did for them what they could never do. That you came to us, that you died for our sin, that you rose from the grave, that you paid the penalty. And they would confess you as Lord and be saved. Lord, I also pray for the child of God in this room or watching online that knows all of these things. Everything I said today, they know. There's not one thing I said today that they didn't know. And yet, they still feel distant from you. Father, may this be a holy moment. A holy moment where we as your children return to you. Where we even hit our knees and confess, God, that we have... We have put distance between us and you. Lord, we thank you that you are able by your grace and mercy to fill that distance. And you do so immediately. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.